0: is an interesting holiday for the church. Uh, Looking around, we've got a decent crowd this morning, but according to Lifeway Research, Father's Day is the holiday with the single lowest average church attendance out of all the other holidays. Statistically lower than Labor Day, Memorial Day, and even the 4th of July. I think that's kind of interesting, especially when you consider that Mother's Day tends to be the third highest attended service behind Easter and Christmas. And then everybody comes with Mom, and where do we go with dad? I, don't, I think the point is uh, dad has a lot of influence and maybe we'd like to spend time with dad and do some of dad's favorite things. I say dad has influence on their family because I want to share this with you. Another survey found that if a child is the first person in a household to become a Christian, statistically speaking, 3.5% of the time, everyone else in that household will follow. If mom is the first person to become a Christian... 17 point, no, 17% of the time, that entire home will become Christ's followers. Now, if dad's the first person to become a Christian, you know what that number jumps to? 93% of the time, if dad becomes a Christian, the entire household will follow his footsteps. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 19 this morning, verses 11 through 17. Interesting story. It's the story of seven sons whose father is named Sceva. But apparently this father did not lead his sons to follow Christ. Following in our journey through the book of Acts, we've been following Paul at this point. Paul moves on from Berea. He goes to Athens. He then goes to Corinth and eventually makes his way back to Antioch. He stays on the road. He continues traveling and visiting the different disciples, visiting the different churches. And then he makes his way to Ephesus. And Paul stayed a considerable amount of time in Ephesus. And it was there that God really used Paul in some brilliant, interesting, and powerful ways. Let's read our text together this morning. Acts 19.11 says, God was performing extraordinary miracles by Paul's hands, so that even faiths cloths or aprons that had touched his skin were brought to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Now, some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists also attempted to pronounce the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I command you by the Jesus that Paul preaches. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish high priest, were doing this. The evil spirit answered them, Now, I know Jesus, and I recognize Paul, but who are you? (laughs) Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them all and prevailed against them so that they ran out of that house naked and wounded. This is a great story for Father's Day. Amen? When <laughs> You're welcome, Dad. When this, when this became known to everyone who lived in Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, they became afraid. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high esteem, or translated otherwise, was magnified. This week I had a great father experience with Easton. Easton, he's used to me talking about him in church, so it's okay. But I had a great moment with Easton this week as I sat him down and I gave him his very first pocket knife. Nothing real special, just a double-bladed little K-bar pocket knife. And I sat down I showed him how to open it, how to use it. We talked about not cutting things toward yourself. Don't be running with this thing. Now listen, I know that Easton's going to whittle his fingers off at some point. It's just, just part of it. But <laughs> I'm just saying, bud, it's going to happen. And Easton was so thrilled to get this simple little pocket knife i would had laid up for probably years. You know, tickled him to death. It's a big moment for a little boy. But because here's why. It's not about the pocket knife. It's about dad passing something down to me. It's about dad entrusting me with something more, some, some more responsibility that to this point in life, I have not been trusted with yet. And so talking about the impact and influence of fathers this morning, we're going to look at three parts to our passage. And first, let's look at verses 11 and 12 and talk about the impact of God's servant, talking about the Apostle Paul. I have seen firsthand, I believe with all my heart, that one person can make a tremendous impact on the lives of many, for the good or for the bad. I think about the people reflecting this week, the men especially, that have impacted my life, and always one that comes to mind was my grandfather, Don Franklin, who I spent considerable amount of time with. And he had a just, I wouldn't be who I am today in large part because of him and the lessons that he taught me. And one of those lessons, I'll never forget this as long as I live, was we sat on the riverbank one day fishing, and he taught me for the very first time how to tie my own fish hook. Probably younger than Easton, but I'll never forget the time that he took, the care that he took to show me how to tie that knot, how to make sure that it 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 latches just right. And thinking about those lessons, though, I I love to fish. Listen, I understand not everybody's a fisherman, but if you're not, Dad, when you pull out this fish bait that we gave you, here's what I want you to understand. All of these little lessons about pocket knives and fishing knots and all that stuff is great. Teaching our kids to play sports. Teaching our kids how to fish. They'll never forget it. But more important than that, when you pull out that fish bait, think about are we teaching our kids to be fishers of men? Are we teaching them about Christ? Because not only did Papaw teach me about tying fishing knots and throwing back the carp and keeping the catfish, he was a Baptist preacher and he taught me the importance of studying the Bible and following God. And this story. We think about the people that influenced Paul. Certainly, Paul was raised in a religious home. He studied under the great Gamaliel. We can imagine the impact that Barnabas had on the apostle Paul's life, as well as many others. But ultimately, you think about this, Paul was God's child. Paul was called out, hand-picked, hand-selected by God himself, by Jesus, on the road to Damascus. No person could take credit for leading Paul to Christ, because Jesus Christ intervene directly in Paul's life. And from that day forth, Paul took his salvation. He took his calling to spread the gospel very seriously. And you think about the impact that he then had on the, the, the landscape of the world for Christianity. Most people agree that Paul's probably only second to Jesus in impacting the world with the gospel. And then he writes 13, at least 13 books of the Bible, helps plant at least a dozen churches, and led countless people... Christ, And then we come to this story in Ephesus and God was using his hand selected servant. I'll be honest in in ways that a lot of us probably wouldn't even think are possible. We read this and Luke tells us God was performing extraordinary miracles through Paul's hand as if miracles aren't extraordinary in themselves. What Luke tells us the language here that what was happening by God through Paul was not common, even for the miraculous. It was such an incredible work of God that even the articles of, of Paul's clothing, things that had touched his skin, apparently were effectual at helping people find freedom from disease and even demonic spirits. Folks, these were extra special miracles for an extra special place. you got to understand what, what all was going on in Ephesus. It was a place that was steeped in magic, steeped in superstition. And as God had done all throughout history, he met such challenges head on. You think about how God proved through his servants like Moses, like Paul, that he alone is God, that there is no other that's more powerful, no person and no spirit. And in the case of the early church, these types of miracles proved, as we've said again, that the gospel of Jesus Christ was true and it was powerful. And Paul knew this power firsthand. So one person can make a positive difference. But here's what's sad about this story. Is that the opposite is also true. Look at verses 13 through 15. And we see the insult of God's son. So who is this Sceva and his seven sons? It's very likely that Skeva was a member, he's called high priest here, he's very likely a member of the Ephesian Jewish Sanhedrin there in Ephesus, and being Ephesian, this family was likely very superstitious, possibly made some gains, probably some income, earned some influence as a priestly family by practicing some of these things. We see we that they were apparently exorcists to some extent. And folks, here in the mountains, we should be, we should be okay reading stories like this, right? I don't know about you, how many people grew up hearing all these superstitious tales about the mountains? You got the seventh son of the seventh son up some holler that can take a black chicken and cure everything from uh, freckles to whatever, shingles. We've all heard it, right? But these seven sons turn from their normal practices for exorcism and they invoke, here's what's what's point about this they invoke a name of someone that they did not know maybe they'd been watching paul in his ministry maybe they'd watch how god had used paul to do all these wonderful things and so they thought they'd try to use the name of jesus but the problem was they didn't know jesus and i believe that the impact of their upbringing of their raising by this man that's called Skeva, and not being children of god i think it resulted in the name of jesus being insulted to this evil spirit. Their father's name. Here's what the text implies. You know what the name Skeva literally means? It means handyman, or even sorcerer's apprentice. And growing up in Ephesus, fathered by the sorcerer's apprentice, we can infer that as religious as they may have been, there was several generations of lostness in this family. And when they, it all comes to a head in this story when they encounter this demon and they invoke and they insult. The name that is above every other name. And notice how they do so. Notice their words. They, they don't say it's the Jesus that we know. It's the Jesus that Paul preaches. And the demon responds, yes, I know Jesus. And the word there in the Greek for know is the word that means I know him from personal experience. And the demon knew he was no match for Jesus, And he says, and I also recognize Paul, who you're talking about. The Greek word here for recognize or know literally means I know him by proximity or by watching or by studying. And so as Paul had been ministering in this in Ephesus, this demon had been watching Paul. and He knew the work of Jesus. He knew the power of Jesus. And he knew that Paul belonged to Jesus and he didn't want anything to do with either one of these. But then he turns to these seven sons. And he says, who are you? They may have been influential as a priestly family. They may have been known to their community. They may have had political clout. They may have been known for their religious affiliations. But here's the thing. They had no spiritual influence. They tried to cast out the the demon in the name of Jesus. But they didn't know who Jesus was. This is exactly what Jesus said would happen, right? In the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7. Look at these verses. Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. And on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name, and then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. I think the takeaway for us, especially today, fathers, is that we have to teach our sons and our daughters, not just about Jesus, not just about this name, not just about this Sunday school character. We have to teach them and show them who Jesus is and exemplify Jesus to them and lead them into a relationship with him. And that takes us to the third part of this passage, last two verses, and that's the influence of God's surrogates. Now, I chose this word very carefully. The word surrogate means a substitute, especially a person deputizing for another in a specific role or office, a representative. Mothers and fathers especially represent God to their children. At least we're supposed to. Now in our text, we see that the name that was abused ended up being Magnified, As one commentator put it, he said, the name of Jesus, like an unfamiliar and misused weapon, exploded in their hands. And they were quite dramatically taught a lesson. Now, how embarrassing would that be? But in light of Father's Day and what we see in this passage, I think the, the application in all of this is it begs this question, especially fathers, what are we teaching our children? And for some of us, what are we teaching our grandchildren? Are we teaching them to know Christ? To know what He's like? To know who He is as a person? Or are we giving them some very cheap misrepresentation? Because I believe that as fathers, guys, it is our God-given sacred duty to raise up the next generation of Christ followers. I want to share this with you because I believe that fathers are some of the most influential characters on the face of the planet. It's a little writing called, So God made a father. says at the dawn of time, God looked down on all he had made and said, now I need a caretaker. So God made a father. Now I'm no Paul Harvey, but you can imagine how this would sound. God said, I need someone to teach children to fish and to ride a bike without training wheels and to play catch in the backyard. It must be someone who's tough enough to run a chainsaw and wield a machete, yet... Gentle enough to join his little girl and her dolls for tea. So God made a father. I need someone to bring the car around when it's raining so everyone else can stay dry. Someone who will keep jumper cables in his truck just in case he needs to help a stranger. I need someone to notice practical things like how, to tread, how the tread on the tires is wearing and if the weather stripping around the front door needs replacing because no one else will. I'll create someone who's strong enough to open a tightly sealed jar and tall enough to place the angel on top of the Christmas tree. I'm I'm waiting on that one, Lord. Uh, Still need a ladder. Someone who will be gracious enough to let his son fish the best fishing hole or let his daughter win at least one hand of gin rummy. Yes, he will struggle to find his glasses and keys, God thought but I'll help him find time for the important things like tumbling with the kids in the den floor or saying, I'm proud of you, son, or giving mama a hug. So God made a father. God said, I need someone brave enough to carve the Thanksgiving turkey for no one else seems to want the job. Someone who's not afraid to go into grandma's dark cellar or to check on what goes bump in the night or to remove the dead mouse from the mouse trap. I need someone wise enough to know when to let his child fail Someone who will pick her up, dry her tears and say, Honey, I know you can do it. Give it another try. I need someone who listens more than he talks. Who will stand by his family through laughter and tears, tornadoes and snowstorms, good times and bad. Someone who will love his kids and love their mother even more. So God made a father. God said, I need someone to provide for the family. Someone who will get up early and stay up late and never complain. I need someone who's willing to make unpopular decisions and stand by them. Someone to provide authority and discipline as well as love. I need someone with broad shoulders. Broad enough to carry a little child around town. And broad enough to pull more than his fair share. Yes, I need someone who will work the second shift. Or take the second best. Or play second fiddle so that his family can have it better than he did. I need someone who's willing... Willing to man up and provide the love, support, and strength his family will so desperately need. So God made a father. Sometimes he'll not feel worthy of the love his family gives him. There will be times when he fails to live up to my ideal standard. But when his family needs him, he will show up or give up or do whatever needs to be done. Yes, that's exactly what I need, thought God, as he shook his head. A father to love my children. And if necessary to lay down his life for them. Someone, well, someone like me. So God made a father. Father is the first hero that a little child will ever know. His influence lasts much longer than his life and he is an earthly portrayal of the Heavenly Father. So as God's representatives, dad's, As his substitute. As his ambassador to our children. What are we imparting to them? Are we teaching them to be champions on the court and on the field only? Or are we teaching them to be champions for Christ? Are we teaching our sons just how to become men? Or are we teaching them how to be men of God? Are we just teaching them how to fish? Or are we also teaching them to be fishers of men? Dads, you are very special people, and we love you and wish you a happy Father's Day. Would you stand together and let us pray this morning? Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you for these incredible men that you've placed in our lives. Many are our blood relation, but God, there's so many more that have just stepped into our lives and taken on this role. They've cared for us. They've mentored us. They've chastised us. And God, this morning we're reminded that they're the best earthly representation of You, our Heavenly Father. The only thing is, Lord, You are perfect. You're a good Father. You never fail us. You never forsake us. Your love never fails. And Lord, you love us to the point that even in our pitiful state of sin, you sent your true Son to die on our behalf. That we could be adopted into your family. Thank you, Father. And Lord, this morning, if there's someone here that doesn't know that love, they've never been shown that love, and they need to be saved, I pray, Lord, that you would draw them to you this morning and that they would know what it's like to have a perfect Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast. Please subscribe, but also join us live in person on the Court Square in Barberville or find us on YouTube by searching FBC Barberville on Instagram at first underscore Baptist underscore Barberville, on Twitter at BarbervilleFBC, or on our Facebook page, First Baptist Barberville.